Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge engine failure, it appears, for Erica. The smoke funneling out of the back of the car. Stanfield drives by. On this episode, it's Tony Pedragon from the NHRA on Fox and Mr. 300 himself, Jim Epler. And it's Trip Tatum for the first time in his career. 370 flat, 330 miles an hour. We're talking the Western Swing and we're talking Topeka, past and present. Bobby Bodie's 074, and he blows the body off the car, going through the finish line stripe. Bobby maintains control of the automobile. This is the NHRA Insider. Number 16 is going to take out number one. He left on a, by a day and a half. Both Manson Hines bikes are out, and it is crazy town at Pro Stock Motorcycle. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the NHRA Insider. We are back again this week, and as I mentioned in the intro to the show, we have Tony Pedragon, my right-hand man from the NHRA on Fox, and Jim Epler, who is celebrating 30 years after breaking the 300-mile-an-hour barrier to be the first guy to do it. That, of course, happened in Topeka, 1993, and we're going to be reliving um, through this show, through our NHRA social media channels this week, and, of course, in our race broadcasts over the course of the weekend for qualifying and eliminations, uh, some of the great historical moments at Topeka as this is uh, being sold as, being talked about, being realized as uh, likely the last national event that we'll have at Heartland Motorsports Park. Now, there was some question as to whether the place was going to close or whether the place was going to reopen in 24. I don't know if it's going to have new owners. I don't know what the deal is, but I do know that NHRA is committed to flying H-Drag Strip, which is being constructed right now outside of Kansas City. Uh, for next year's national event that much we know so we do have to look in retrospect at uh, Topeka all the great things that happened there all the crazy things that have happened there and and there's been a lot of history made at the drag strip located effectively across the street from Forbes Field the um, small regional kind of air hub of the area as long as well as the you know get a military a lot of military aircraft over there as well so, um, you know, in this show, we'll talk about Weston Swing, talk about the race and, and Jim Epler, and as I mentioned. So, you know, last weekend was a weekend off for the tour. Um, it was not a weekend off for me. I went to Firebird Raceway uh, for the third year in a row to call the Night Fire Nationals. It's the 52nd running of the Night Fire Nationals this year. It's a race that was... Um, uh, that has had some of the largest names in the history of the sport compete at it and win. Uh, you know, Don Prudhomme is all over the books up there. John Force has gone up there and won it. Uh, Johnny West has won it, and he won it again this year in a fuel altered. I mean, you, you go back, Gary Densham. I mean, the list, Tom the Mongoose McEwen, the list is, is very, very long. And back in the day, uh, Boise, Idaho was a must-stop match race location, and the Nightfire Nationals is one of the largest uh, self-produced drag races that uh, that I do every year. Um, it's great. The track takes a lot of pride in executing this event on their own. The three feature categories in Nostalgia Top Fuel, Nitro Funny Car, and Fuel Altered. There's loads of sportsmen racing a $10,000 to win class every day, along with other categories and classes as well. So, it was a full. It was a full race. We would get there, and get going about eight a.m. and finish in ten ten thirty at night, uh, all three days. So they were long days, but very good days. A very well run racetrack, um, and for for reasons that you know the stars just kind of line up on stuff. But that weekend, meaning this weekend that just passed, is one of the largest weekends of the year for self produced drag racing shows from. Island Dragway, New Jersey, had their funny car event, uh, 63 years running there. 
You had the night under fire at Norwalk, which is that massive one day, you know, 40,000, they claim people in there. Then you go to Milan, Michigan and or Martin, Michigan, and it is the uh, US 131. It is the Northern Nitro Nationals. Top fuel dragsters there. Bunch of different equipment uh, competing at that event. You, you go around the country in this particular weekend is just packed and it's all the self-produced track made shows and these track made shows are are backbone to to their business um you know i can speak that the, the night fire nationals has a very solid effect on the bottom line of firebird raceway every year you know when you have a track that size uh and you sell it out um you know, you sell it out for basically two nights and uh, have a solid Sunday. You're paying big purses. You have 300 plus, um, you know, sportsman cars on top of all of it. It is a race that needs to go well in so many different aspects and respects. And and the um, you know the team at Firebird Raceway is able to execute these events because they're so good. They're among the best I've ever worked with. Uh, it's a smaller track, but but if you've never been to Firebird in Boise, I cannot tell you how much I love going there because of the people, the new family that owns and operates it. Uh, it is just the area is gorgeous, the track is great. So uh, that is my um, that is my you know testimonial to the Night Fire Nationals and to Firebird Raceway, a drag strip that I truly think every fan in the country should swing through at least once in their fandom ship it is such it is such a unique place and and i love the whole uh the whole program up there uh the norwalk race was great you know the 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 show aspect of it is uh, is amazing the spectacle of it and the fact that the racers are understanding of that show and that spectacle they're not out there smoking the tires they're making runs low 390s runs very competitive very fast runs but they're running low threes they're they're putting big header flames up they're making people you know sit back in their seat and think wow and you know along the same tradition of the night fire nationals that that night under fire has has grown into its own bestial um iconic event which has a very strong bearing on on the the budget to budget books of summit racing equipment order sports park or norwalk i mean these are important things and it is an event that they carry off themselves um it's just it's cool you know we talk about racetracks struggling and racetracks closing and this that and the other thing happening and the idea that there are a lot of still motivated promoters out there making great self-made drag racing content on their racetracks the job that we have is as fans and the people that are close to the sport is to support those people and that's supporting them by trumpeting the message out that that you can help them, you know, maybe get some new people in the place. That is supporting them by buying a ticket and sitting out and having a beer in the grandstands, watching the event. That is spreading the word. That is doing all the things as a patron of a business that you like, a business that you're passionate about, that needs to be happening. You know, if we wanna if we wanna stem the tide on on some of these racetracks being threatened or closed, it's not gonna be done with you know, massive pools of money. That's not a permanent solution. Ingraining these places in our communities, working them into our, you know, fabric of our day-to-day lives to make sure that it's more than just a racetrack. It's a hub of of people getting together and doing something productive, uh, getting street racing off the street. However, we want to go down that road. Um, these are the things that ultimately are going to make racetracks safer than simply cutting them a check. You know, support your local track is always the thing. Support your local track and don't complain about your local track. 
And by human, we're humans. We're going to complain. We're going to have issues. We're going to have mistakes made. We're going to have things we disagree on. So I get the idea of the, you know, the idea of don't complain about the track. It may go away. It's a balance. And the balance is when when things aren't going right and business isn't being done right, you got to open your mouth and say something. But you have to look at how you're doing that and who you're saying it to. Because if you do love the place and you're frustrated with it is one thing. Um, and if if 99% of the time you're out there kind of beating the drum and, and you know, raising awareness for the facility and doing all the things that, that we'd love to have you do for the sport, that is definitely um, the ratio you'd want to have. You want to you be 99% beating the drum and positive, and yeah, you're going to complain because that's what people do and things happen. It's the idea of, you know, blasting people on social media, taking the wind out of sales or promoters. It's it's It doesn't do a whole lot to motivate them. And when a promoter that runs and operates a track loses their motivation, everybody suffers. And it's when the for sale sign goes on the door and, and some guy who wants to build a junkyard uh, buys the drag strip. So, you know, being out at these, these tracks, being out at these races, especially at Firebird, just the the fans are so thankful for the the show that they're getting. The management is very thankful for the fans. It's it's a it's a heartwarming a heartwarming experience and one that I am very very glad to have every year. It's a little bit of a you know dip in the dip in the river or whatever you want to say. It's just it's a neat way to duck away from the big corporate world of drag racing. There is no jumbotron. There's no instant replays. There's no live streaming. There's no DJ. There's no fireworks, you know, shooting off as cars are going down the racetrack. All of those things are fun and they're cool and they add to the spectacle and the ambiance of a massive event. But it is pretty neat every now and again, at least for me personally, to dive back into my roots to where I came from to do the thing that I love to do maybe most in the world, which is call a race. Just call a race as a track announcer. It's a very different job than, than doing it on TV. I'm not constrained on time. I'm not constrained on you know going to commercial breaks. It is just simply telling the stories as they're unfolding in front of me, and it really was great. So that is my love letter to Firebird Raceway and a little bit of uh, advice to the wise, I guess we'd say, support your local racetracks beyond simply showing up and buying a hot dog. Support them in the way you talk about them outside their fences. Support them in efforts for their own protection, support them and use your own voice to let people know that these tracks are incredibly important parts of our community that prevent street racing, that give people things to do, that allow for people to explore hobbies that can turn into to careers. Um, there is no more scary thing than than a place where, you know, the teenagers got nothing to do because they'll find something to do and it's probably not something you wanted to be doing anyway. So support your local drag strips, especially um, – realize that a lot of hardworking people are are doing it out of passion and um that passion translates into some pretty spectacular events like the night fire nationals like the northern nitro nationals like the uh the funny car uh, the funny car race at island and of course um like the night under fire at norwalk so there you have it when we come back it is going to be tony pedragon our first guest following him will be jim epler but tony pedragon on here for the NHRA Insider when we return right after this. All right, welcome back to the NHRA Insider Podcast. Here we have our first guest of two on this show, Mr. Tony Pedragon, after a weekend away from the drag strip. Tony, how you doing, man? Good. Good morning, Brian. So um, what would you do last weekend? Did you go go-kart racing with your kid? 
Uh, I did. I did. Uh, Newcastle, we're kind of catching up. And, uh, you know, it's pretty amazing that, you know, karting, any kind of racing, it requires work. It turns into work. And I found myself in a blazing <laughs> sun, just, you know, wrenching on this cart, changing gears and motors and, you know, but it's the best kind. I, I it's, Hey, if you go racing, it's, I, what do they say? A, a bad day racing is still better than a good day at work. So. That's, that's an absolute, that's an absolute fact. And that's for sure. And, um, you know, I want to catch up about the Western swing as we look at Topeka this weekend. And, and really it's kind of the sprint to the U S nationals at this point. And one of the classes we won't see until we get to India is pro stock motorcycle. And, you know, we talked coming into the Western swing and obviously working together three weeks in a row. I think most of us thought that, you know, this should be the Gage Herrera show, and it was. I mean, what else is there to say anymore? I mean, is there – it's almost – you know, do you – I don't even know what to say anymore because when we – there's no reason to look at this guy and think that he's going to do anything but win a championship, and there's no reason to think that the only reason he's going to lose at all is if he just beats himself every now and again. Yeah, I you know I think there's still a couple of question marks for me. I'm sure that there there still is you know some intrigue from from everyone else. The, the questions I think coming into the Western Swing was how would he you know respond coming off of the yeah. couple of red lights? He had already recovered, right. but you know it it can change. You know some drivers, some riders, you know they can pull back too much, and it you know a lot of it is a mental game. Sure. We've talked about this. I mean, it's so much more mental in this sport than it is physical and you know gage is just one of those riders that um you know he he was able to rise to the occasion and and kind of recover and you know that just means a couple of things i mean he's mentally strong but you have to look at the people that he's surrounded with andrew hines matt hines all the experience that he has the yeah. people i'm sure that um you know, i don't know how much they coach him but you know anybody that's that's this new to the sport uh, I think Gage, but more than that, I think Andrew and everyone, um, Eddie Craywick, I think they realize that this this guy's got a ways to go. So yeah. you know, if he's good now, imagine what he's going to be in another year or two. You know, we saw probably the most ornery version of Matt Smith we've seen in years at Sonoma, and, and it was one of those things where um, we had an, a pit interview with him, and you know, people were asking, or he was asked about uh, you know Gage or whatever, and and he was very quick to say, "Hey, anybody could do what this guy's doing on that motorcycle." And well, I don't, <laughs> well, I don't disagree that he would be doing the same thing that Gage is doing. I don't think anybody is going to be doing that because we saw that bike with somebody else on it, and it wasn't doing this last year. Well, I think in fairness, I if I recall the quote, he said there was I think four or five riders that might have been able yeah. to do what Gage is doing, but and I, I'm, I would push back a little bit. I, I don't entirely disagree with them, but who and where? Yeah. Uh, maybe one or two that have talent, but you know, it's not just the, it's not just getting on the machine and doing that job. It, it is, you know, ha being compatible with the team, um, you know, having the chemistry with the team and having the right personality, you know, th this team has to deliver to sponsors. Yes. You know, not everyone has that luxury, but, you know, you got a you got a brand name as a sponsor. You have to have, uh, you know, good representation. They wanted someone younger, more than likely. Uh, you know, hey, everyone likes, uh, you know, the female angle, um, to some degree. But you know, hey, Gage not only fit the suit, but I, I think he had the right personality. So I think that really narrows it down to maybe, maybe. Uh, you know, one other dry writer that 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 I can think of yeah. that has the talent to do that. Um, but you know, his personality really does. It's not Gage Herrera. So, 
um, you know, I think I think to some degree Matt had the right idea, and Matt to me was the other question mark. You know, sure. oh, absolutely, that, yeah, that Gate had the machine, but the question was was at what point is Matt going to turn things around? And he did. He fired that shot at Sonoma, and to me that really set the stage for the final. And I'm sure that we were all pretty disappointed. And, you know, surprisingly, I think Gage was even a little disappointed. I yeah. think he was ready. And I normally don't buy that. You know, I'm, I've been very open Absolutely. about my favorite opponent is nobody. <laughs> it's that guy that's, that's leaking oil out of the bottom of his car. That I remember when I was racing, when I see that number one, it's like all the pressure would just ooze out of your body. So, uh, but I truly think that was going to be one that I think we're just going to push that back and we're going to have to wait for that one and we're going to see it again. But, but the, I think the way that that had really set itself up for a final and, you know, with Matt really not being there, but being close to gauge, I, I that was going to be, that was going to be a heck of a final. It, it really was. And yeah, when he, when he ran within what about a thou of gauge and qualifying, it was like, okay, this, this seems like a moment now that we can all start leaning in on, on the idea that uh, that Matt's got something for him, and and you know we don't see him again till Indy, and and who's to say that final doesn't manifest itself again at the U.S. Nationals, which would also be uh, kind of an epic moment uh, to boot. You know we haven't seen Pro Stock for about a month now. We finally get them back uh, in Topeka. We leave the bikes for a couple races, but get the cars back. And you know to me this is always one of those moments when when we come out of a break with Pro Stock, it's like who's done the best job testing, and and I know the Elite crew they've been going to Tulsa and they've tested it night in Tulsa because it's been so hot it just hasn't made sense to go there during the day when it's going to be some blazing hundred some degrees um I know Dallas Glenn's been out you know racing the sportsman cars and stuff so you know I'm going to be really curious to see what what if any gains have been made or even people that made no gains if they've if they've fallen off I mean what do you do when you have a month of nothing to do wait for your pro stock racer well, for the for the, I mean, anyone that has an engine shop and a dyno, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's how <laughs> they might post some social media like they're fishing. But I I wouldn't let that fall is too much. Uh, I I'm pretty sure that you know elite it is coming. I mean they they have been they've been improving. Uh, you know Troy Junior when he flashes, he's just so good that it's going to be hard to beat him, especially when his car's running. Uh, he just seems to really be hitting his marks this year. Of course, Erica, you know, even even when she doesn't qualify well, even when she's struggling, I think the expectations are always to see her and that team find it. They they find it somewhere. Um, I think for me, the question is 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 KB. You know, we've seen Dallas Glenn be good. We really haven't seen all of their cars, you know, be at the same level right. on the same weekend. Uh, so I, I think I think that's something that I'm pretty sure they have to be working on is getting those cars consistent and uh, you know trying to squeeze another two to three hundreds on Sunday. That's where they seem to fall off is on Sunday. That seems to be the pattern this year. That seemed to be the pattern last year. It's kind of interesting. We go into a stretch now where if you if you're a pro stock team without its stuff. In my opinion, if you show up at Topeka without a car that is capable of not just winning the race, but if you don't show up with your countdown car in Topeka, I think you've made a grave mistake because, you know, we raced Topeka and Brainerd back to back, and then a week off, and then it's Indy uh, a weekend off, then Maple Grove, Charlotte, 
and Chicago. So there's no time anymore to, to try to figure out your problems. If you don't show up in Topeka with a pro stock car that you can take to the finish line of this season, um, you're, I guess you're officially going to be in test. <laughs> you're going to be in testing mode, right? Cause there's, there's no breathing room left. This was the last time they had this year to actually make a move as far as performance. It, it seems like it. Um, you know, they, they, they have, they've had the time, um, you know, and there's only there's only so much you can do yeah. with these cars. And you know, the surprising thing is is the fact that you know Matt Hartford, you know he he rents a motor, and it just goes to show you that you know the, the teams will supply an engine to certain teams. Um, but what they've done in in getting that engine to work, what is handed to them, it's like it's like Vance and Hines. You get an engine from them. You still have to tune it, but what's impressive and what is surprising is what they have been able to do with the engine. So it, you really have to think, okay, so they're getting the same engine or at least the same engine that Dino is pretty close to the teammates. Yeah. So it really makes you wonder: is it horsepower? It makes you lean towards it's what they're doing with the suspension. Oh, absolutely. And how they're tuning it, what they're doing with the clutch, and you know, if you if you know your you know, pro stock history. That's what Eddie Guinacci, that is his, his, uh, his strength is he's kind of a clutch guy. So really makes you wonder the engine is, is X. It provides X amount of horsepower, but it's everything that they're doing after that. Yeah. And listen, for me, my opinion on, on Hartford, he's had a great season so far, but to me, these next two races are, are when I'm going to either fully, you know, buckle my seatbelt on the Hartford bus, or I'm going to go, eh, I don't know if this is his year or not, because if, <laughs> if, if Matt and crew can come out in Topeka and Brainerd, and I don't even need him to win one or both, but I need him to finish late rounds. Then I'm going to say, okay, then I'm actually going to buy into this guy being able to, to go the distance. And that's been the conversation you and I have had all year long. Are they built for the long haul? And if they come out in Topeka and Brainerd and our early round exits, I feel like the, the, the air comes out of that balloon pretty quick. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that because we're going to be looking at some pretty good temperatures, yeah. uh, you know, by way of the forecast with the forecast on this Friday night will be different you know that's going to be the shot for position so i'm sure everyone's going to want to take advantage of that but uh, i agree i mean matt hartford the question is is do they have the depth to go the distance and you know how many times have we seen teams peak in whether phase. it's in front of top fuel yeah uh, you know and then get to the countdown and and then of course we've seen some of the teams like robert height that you know they haven't peaked and they kind of saved their best for last so i think timing is very important but you know, it's funny because over those three races, it's like I really got into pro stock bike, and you know, I think mentally, you and I would yeah. kind of have to put pro stock off to the side to focus on what we're doing. So I, I was really digging in and enjoying what we were seeing with pro stock bike. So now we've got to kind of refresh. <laughs> but but Matt Hartford is really the guy that comes to mind. I mean, we know yeah. who else is going to be there, uh, but it's just interesting to see Matt. You know, Derek Kramer can flash, but I think Troy and you know, there's some other, it just Dallas, Dallas Glenn was the strongest driver, had the strongest car. Question is, 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 is he going to have that momentum as we pick up? I guess we'll find out this weekend. Yeah. And to your point, before we move on to funny car, it's like, to your point, 
uh, this will be a chassis tuners race. This is not necessarily because, yeah, qualifying Q1 or whatever, Q2, it's going to be it's going to be cool. And it'll be fast. But like we're talking mid 90s um, Saturday and Sunday, give or take on temperature. So this this is going to come down to not out horsepowering anybody. It's going to come down to not shaking the tires. It's going to come down to just out 60 footing people. And um, as you said, you know, Eddie and that and that crew have been very good on the chassis side this year. So it's going to be um, it may play into their into their strengths. Uh, let's talk about Funny Car for a second. Who do you look at coming out of the, the Western Swing saying, this team has had a brilliant Western Swing and they are they are at the top of my riser list versus this team wishes they never left the shop to go West and they need to figure something out in a hurry. So who do you put in the strength category coming out of, coming out of the Western Swing? You know, there's a few teams that could have saved a lot of money. They could have paid <laughs> some some journeyman team to put the name on the side of the car and just make one run and and pull up to the line. And uh, you know, no, I don't think anyone would have known. <laughs> I'm not going to mention. Out of respect, I'm not going to mention. There's more than one, but I'm not going to mention some of those teams. But uh, you know, the strong cars, of course, the Jr. Todd and yeah. um, and Cats. You know, those are the two cars that really stand out. Um, you know, Hagen's there. You can never count them out. Uh, Robert, I, it's like, when are these guys going to turn it around? I mean, they'll flash that first round against Forrest. I, I, that didn't surprise me at all. I, you and I, we always kind of set up the matchups, right? And I said, this is going to be a bloodbath here. <laughs> You're right. I, just, I thought they were going to run good, and they didn't disappoint. But how they're just, they, they just can't, you know, they just can't repeat it. They're, they don't have the consistency. But I'm not real concerned with them. You know, I know you and I look at each other. Once in a while, we'll hear a driver, when they do run good, not necessarily a funny car, but when they do run good and when they spit out, oh, we've been testing all year. That, yeah. you know, when a, when a guy has a pattern of BSing everybody, <laughs> I, I don't buy it. I, that, it's just, it's comical to hear that. And if I don't buy it, I'm pretty sure a lot of other people don't buy it, that they really haven't been in test mode. Now, Robert, in that team, that's a different story. You know, if they're testing and trying things, you know, this is this is where this is the time of year that you do it. But I do see those guys really buttoning down um, and, and getting, um, you know, they're always serious. But I, I just, I, we fully expect them to be there. And as we did with Caps, I mean, that car is just strong. Every time you turn around, if they miss it in qualifying, yeah, they, they turn it around. They just, you know, they're there when they need to be. So it's still going to be, it's going to be, you know, Caps and Hagen and Height. But now you've got to worry about J.R. Todd. And I think that, um, I think the other car that, you know, and, and after that, it, it gets a little sketchy. I mean, Tasca, without question, that car can run. When they fix the breakage and, you know, just the, the things that have been biting that team, I mean, there are five bona fide teams right there that are yeah. going to run for the championship. Um, who comes after that? Tim has such a strong car. Um, but, you know, you have to look at the numbers. What You talk about Tim and Alexis. Those are the two strongest cars. Yeah. Those are drivers that, you know, that have to be looking at how can we compete? Because if, if, if I'm driving that car, I, I just, I can't see how you just go through, you know, a post race and not scrutinize, you know, your performance. And I'm sure that they do, but they have to look at the numbers. No different than a, 
an NBA player. Sure, shooting or, percentage, or, whatever. And it, you know, it's, it's yeah. the shooting percentage. The shooting percentage, if it's 42%, you're going to be in the game. When it falls below that, you're in trouble. You're, you're at risk at, of losing. When you're upward 47, 48, you're probably going to win more than you lose. So you have to be looking at your, your numbers. And when you, you know, when you recognize where you're at, what are you doing about it? So, you know, mentally, I, I just, you know, there are certain things that I think drivers can do more of. I know all of them have the practice tree, but you know, if it's me, I'm doing more than that. And, and maybe they are, but those are two cars right there that can compete with those top five. Um, and they have, they're going to win races. Tim has won twice already, but you know, when it comes time, when it comes time to, to really get down to the nitty gritty and to bang out these rounds, but this is a very crucial point of the year. Like you said, everyone's kind of gearing up for Indy because you know, you, you've got, you can kind of hit and miss a little bit, but at this stage, I, I think over the next few races, we're really going to see who who else is going to surface to compete with those top five funny cars. It was interesting. I was, uh, you know, in Boise, Idaho last weekend doing the, the Night Fire Nationals out of Firebird Raceway, which is a great little racetrack. And their fans out there, super hardcore. They follow, you know, they follow our series very, very tightly. And, and that was the most common question I got over the course of the whole weekend when we'd be hanging out in the pits or whatever. And they're like, oh, can I ask you about this or that? And it's sure. And it's like, what what can anybody do to help Alexis? That was the big question. It's like everybody, and it's to me, it's it, it's interesting because the fans kind of know what they're looking at in terms of they know the car is that good, and you know the the, the it was a very that was a very tough one. The the the, the loss in Dallas, or rather in Denver, the first round loss in Denver is uh that was a I mean that was just a tough one to watch because um or rather in Sonoma just because you you. You watch the car just go roaring down the racetrack after the red light, and it's like, what could have been? Um, and you know, it's a it's a hard thing to answer. I, I you know, I think of the the human nature of the sport. We always look at the drivers and say, well, why can't they just be better? Why can't they just be this? Why can't they just be that? Why can't they all be you know Justin Ashley? But that's just not how it works. And um, I know that there, it's been no lack of effort. I know it's been no lack of intensity. I know it's no lack of heart or will on her part, but. But damn, man, something something seems like it's got to give, and and maybe that's the moment when it does. I don't know. Did you ever get into a funk in your career? And I don't mean with massive red lights or anything. But did you ever find yourself like in a little bit of a patch or a stretch where you had to figure something out or break out of it? Well, every driver goes through it, you know, some worse than others. Yeah. Uh, and I've seen I've seen other drivers that have championships that have gone through the same thing, and it's it's. You know, it's no different than a quarterback. You 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 know, you have a yeah. good game, you just can't miss. And then you have another game and, and you're just you're throwing <laughs> picks. How did I, I've said this before on the show, how do the Houston Rockets against the Golden State Warriors, how do they go over twenty seven <laughs> on the three point line? So it happens. It happens yeah. to the highest level athletes and and it's not physical. I mean yeah. it might be a little fatigue, but it's mental. It's mental fatigue. The good news for Lexus is that she has been good before and she's been there. She's gotten the job done. And I think for a driver, I, and I know that, you know, they're competitors. So I don't think they look to get back to where they're just average. You know, I think, I think the, the, um, I think the mindset and the philosophy is I want to be better. I want to be better than everyone. I know there are some tuners that want to be better. And for that, they end up smoking the tires a lot. So at some point, you know, you have to you have to reset. 
Um, and every it's a little different for everyone. You know, everyone we hear them listening to music. We hear we see some of them. You know, breathing the the, the breathing air, the breathing oxygen. You know, uh, that's good for you. But it's 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 really it's not the fresh air that's going to make you good or bad. Um, so for her, I think she just needs to get back to where she has functioned in a competitive way. Um, I can't tell you that you know that that it's not just we're not the only ones that are asking those questions yeah. and thinking about it. But you know, all of these drivers, if you look, you don't have to look far at her team. You've got Del Warsham there. You know he's been in the trenches. I'm sure that he's coaching her. Yeah. And uh, you know, as as are you know others. The, I think one of the keys, and I've seen this happen to drivers. Uh, Mike Salinas was one of them when he had a tough time. I think for a driver, I would only want to listen to the good drivers. I think the tendency in this sport is for everyone to try to reach out. Every you know Joe Blow to yeah. walk up and say, you know, if you can do this and this, I think it's. It's, you know, on the driver to say, you know, it's okay to push back. It's, it's like, you know, I've done this with my son's carding. It's like, hey, I, no offense, but I, I told him to listen to two people, and you're not one of them. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. you listen to the best ones that you feel you can relate to and that you, that you want to listen to. So I'm sure that Lexus, I'm sure that Tim, you know, forget about the business and what they do. Yeah. Uh, I think that, you know, this is the focus right now for them. And, you know, I, I guess we'll have our answers, que uh, questions answered yeah. uh, over the next couple of races. But they have to be doing some kind of work. They can't just think about it and hope that it's going to happen by itself because it doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't work that way. Before we go to Top Fuel, the J.R. Todd, you know, the big, big win for that team. And the way that they built up to it, you know, I had uh, Todd and, and Jono on the show last week, and, and they were great. And, you know, they, they have a trailer that got stuck out west. They had all kinds of problems. Their, their weekend off ended up turning into trying to be a logistical trucking company and get all their stuff fixed so they could even get their rig back to Michigan. But beyond all that... This feels kind of a, like a permanent thing to me, as opposed to a team that just kind of jumps up and wins a race and then fades back into oblivion. The fact that it that they took the time and kind of systematically got this car to where it is, this feels like they have they have not just simply lucked out and got a race win. They have built this thing to 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 be ready for the stretch. Well, the strength of this team and and why the top three uh, or everyone at funny cars should concern themselves is for these reasons. They have, they have the depth. We know that. Um, but you know, they have, they have as much, if not just as good a talent uh, as anyone else, if not better. Yeah. You have two bona fide tuners there that can that individually, they can go tune any car and each of those cars will, will be, will have success. They'll run quick, but, but there's two of them that work together. And that to me is the key. They work together. There are a lot of, of, of talent. There's a lot of talent out there that doesn't work together and it shows. So these are two that, that they seem to be able to, to, to put the egos aside. They have chemistry. They have in the past, um, you know, they have a driver that, that can compete, um, in, in the top, in the top three or top five. When you say top five and funny car, those are, those are sharks. You know, they're just not, those are, those are legitimately good high level drivers that would probably be good in anything. They, any kind of race car that they got. And that's the level of intensity that they have. So, you know, when I say top five, that's, you know, that's pretty good. Um, so you, you have the team, you have the depth, you have the driver. So now you have everything, but now they know how to win and they know how to do it consistently and they know how to run good when it's hot. 
And it can also run good when the conditions are good. So, I mean, that's everything you want. And it comes right at about the time that you want these things to come together. And, you know, they've seen the adversity, what happened to them earlier this year. So, you know, it's like these guys are starting to believe in themselves. That's a dangerous thing. And, you know, they've already shown us that they can pretty much overcome anything. So uh, they're going to be... They're going to be in the running. And this weekend's built for them. This weekend coming up at Topeka is like tailor-made for what that team's strengths are. And, and, you know, to me, the one thing that – and it's like anybody else. The one thing they cannot do is, is afford to really, you know, greatly miss the the big run on Friday night. But, you know, I, to me, as long as that car lands in the top half and they get a somewhat favorable matchup in the first round, I, I am not betting against those guys on a 90-some degree Sunday <laughs> in Topeka, Kansas. It, and it's funny because, to me, it's like I look at a Hagen, I look at a height, even maybe a Caps, and I think, okay, maybe these guys, these guys kind of need it. Those guys kind of need that big run because – I think that they need to ramp their way through a Sunday, whereas JR's guys, even if they land, let's say, four or five and they're racing uh, whatever, the 12th or 13th qualifier, I have a, I think they're going to have a better car on a hot racetrack first round Sunday than anybody else in that class. Now, other teams may be able to tune their way to a better car by the finals, but I think coming out of the gate on a hot track Sunday morning, nobody's going to be better than that DHL car. Yeah, I don't. I don't disagree with you, but um, I, I'll. You know, when you look at the forecast, and it's it's going to change every hour. Yeah. But right now, the heat is going to show up just for us when we show up on Friday, right? <laughs> it's going to be in the nineties, low nineties. But by the time they run, the, you know, the, the temperature is going to be out of the track. But Saturday is going to be the cooker, right? Yeah. Low nineties again, just for us. And then Sunday, the forecast is ninety, but cloud cover. Now okay. that cloud cover means a lot. So I, I think that this might be one weekend. If you go back and look at last year's. Um, you know, ladder and look at what all the cars were running, you know, four flat will get you, will get you in the final round. You know, yeah. some cars were running 398, 399. And, and that, you know, of course that was task of winning the race. So I, the interesting thing is for, for some of the cars that do miss it, I think the danger here is when you have a racetrack and, and the cloud cover is only going to do so much, but you know, if it knocks the edge off the track, I think even in this case, the, the, you know, number 12 qualifier has the potential of beating the quicker yeah. car. And, and we've just, we've seen that pattern, right? We saw that yes. pattern over the Western swing where, you know, we saw these matchups because of the shorter fields and it's like, wow, these are all, you know, yeah. or at least the majority of them were pretty good first round draws. Pretty good for us because it's entertaining and not so good because there's some good cars <laughs> going home. But I, I just, you know, Topeka, it, you know, again, it's, it might be a little bittersweet, um, but I think the good news is the fact that there might be uh, a better track and, and of course, a track in a, in a better location, a more appealing location. But, uh, you know, Topeka is just, it, it like every other track, it, it has a lot of history. I know that when I was racing with Force, there was um, three consecutive years that, you know, that I won that race. And, um, you know, those, that's, that's my memory of it. I'm going to yeah. miss that 24-hour uh, Mexican food. So used to be uh, ponchos. Now it's called, like, Williams or something, but it's still the same people. Yeah, that place is great. Yeah, William is definitely not the you know the most Hispanic <laughs> name, but uh, I'm pretty sure we'll be there every day. <laughs> so one last category, and just two couple things to touch on here in Top Fuel. Um, you know, to me, Leah Pruitt's Leah Pruitt's Western Swing is like illustrative of just how drag racing can can tear your heart out because they win Norwalk and they are they are set up to run, they're set up to go, and then I mean. 
you get your light bulb shot out of the bottom of the tree by Hart in, in Denver round one. You go up to Seattle, get bounced there round one, and then you go out in a hole shot in Sonoma round one again. I mean, that, that was the definition of, of a very crummy three-week stretch for that team. You know, that's, those are the hard knocks. And, you know, we started to talk about that last year when we saw all of this competition ramp up in top fuel. Uh, so no surprise. I mean, who, how are you going to survive in this environment? You got to be good. You have to be good. So car's good, car's consistent. You know, driver's a little bit off, but, you know, Leah, like a few other drivers, you've got to, you know, you've got to raise the, uh, you got to rise to the occasion. And I think for Leah, you know, if you go back and look at that Denver loss, you know, I think, uh, you know, again, her pattern is, is hot and cold. You know, sometimes she's yeah. good. So the timing really hasn't worked out for her, but if she can continue to throw some good ones out there, you know, this is as good a car as she's had since we can remember. So, you know, you, you have what you wished for now. Yeah. Now here comes what you may not have expected the pressure that comes with it. And I, I did like the exchange between her and Josh Hart, actually not her and Josh Hart, but between some of Tony Stewart's comments yeah. and Josh Hart. And I thought, Hey, for, for as quiet and unassuming as Josh Hart is, I thought that was up there, maybe up there with some of the J.R. Todd, Alex Laughlin exchange. I thought what, uh, what Josh Hart fired back, was uh, was classic, epic. Uh, yeah, that was great. I thought it was. I thought it was well done, and in, in his response about, well, I'm just gonna have to keep working on my guessing game, I guess, up here, and it, it, was, <laughs> it was pretty pretty fantastic. Um, much along the a line of Jr. Todd, we we have to talk about Sean Langdon and Doug Coletta. I mean, Doug making back to back finals. Uh, Sean going deep in the rounds uh, virtually every week. Obviously, they kind of fell off the table for Doug and Sonoma, but you know. I, I don't understand. I, I like it, but I don't understand how all the Coletta cars at once that were kind of just stuck in the mud. Now, all of a sudden, all, all three of them are doing something. I mean, it's like a collective awakening over there, and I don't hate it. It's just kind of bizarre that it's happening all at once. Well, we do hear it all the time that the guys back at the shop have been working, and they work hard. <laughs> they work hard. They're, they're not they're not laying pavement and, and you know nailing roofs, but, but they do work hard. But you know, it just goes to show you that these guys have stayed at it and you know they're just making better decisions um and i think they're they're starting to to know the car and i think you know this is just my theory i mean i i spoke with uh jason mccullough a little bit not long ago and you know you and i just i mean how do you not watch what that doug coletta car does yeah. and and we've, we've seen it i mean from the outset that car it, it just showed signs it flashed that those those 360 numbers yep. but they just couldn't repeat it and you know that's all you work on so you go through whatever cycle of clutch discs and the tuners you know they look at some of the small things what they do with the, the timing of the cam and uh, everything they do with the fuel system and at some point they're going to get it right um you know and the only flaw the only problem with the with the doug car is you know is just you know once in a while it'll just unpredictably get the tires yeah. loose but i think there again that's a philosophy of alan johnson he's always done it but when he gets it right it's going to be good and i you know i think it, it how nice would that be to see doug mix it up with justin with austin prop with steve Porrent, and you know and Brittany's another car that it's you know been hit or miss but i think we should fully expect to see that one um in these next handful of races do you think Steve Torrance wins Sonoma if they don't have that mechanical failure and kill that engine on the bye? Do you think he goes on and wins that race? Do you think? Do you think 
not that the swap itself was the problem, but the fact that it was, you know, fresh blower, fresh this, fresh that. Do you think that's the thing that threw him, kind of threw him off the trail um, in the closing rounds of that race? Yeah, you know, that's hard to say because, you know, sometimes a new engine and all new stuff, you know, doesn't hurt. I mean, they yeah. they fell off a little bit. But, you know, I, I think the flip side of that is even when Justin Ashley is off a little bit, guy wins a race i mean yeah. when he's off he's still better than the class average right <laughs> right so i i mean i think you can easily say yeah. well you know he could have easily had uh, a 30 uh something in the 40 reaction time range but you know normally if we see a driver fall off when they have a, a three-digit reaction time we say oh man it's hard to keep that pace up you know maybe he spent all of his money but uh, you know it's a good race I, yeah. I just i do know this about torrents they're going to be there I, I felt it all along, even when he was all over the place, and he still is. But I think that he's he's starting to narrow down that yeah. that window of where he needs to be, where he needs to perform. And there's another driver that has had the car; he hasn't been at his best. And I think they could have easily won a few more races. But you know, I'm not going to say these are throwaway races, but yeah. he can afford to do that now. You cannot afford to do that. Um, you know, as we get closer to the countdown. Yeah, it's going to be a good run. This uh, this this uh, Topeka Brander run is, is going to be good, and of course, the U.S. Nationals is always good. We got good fields in Topeka. We got bump spots uh, across the board, which is nice. Um, you know, I, I, we go to those races on the coast uh, or the the real kind of far reaches, and, and we struggle. But my understanding is NHRA has uh, some plans coming into place for next year that they're hoping to. Um, make that trip a little less uh, painful for some of the smaller teams out there, which would be good. I mean, reality is if we want to grow this thing and, and you want those smaller teams to get more notoriety, then they need to travel, right? If you can if you can get the guys that only run in the Midwest out to the coast, it helps everybody. It gets them more recognition, gets them more notoriety. They can sell some more T-shirts and that whole type of thing. So uh, it's going to be good. I'm looking forward to this, man. We get back in the middle of the country like this, Topeka, Brainerd, Indy. It is lots of cars and, and a great sprint to the uh, end of the regular season. Uh, Brian, I agree. I'm also looking forward to the schedule coming out, you know, to see yep. what uh, what NHRA is working on. I, I know logistically they, they just factor in so many things other than just the time of year. Uh, you know, they're trying to do what is going to be, you know, much more cost-effective for the teams. And, you know, it's funny. I hear all the, um, you know, all the negative comments about it. But, you know, you have to ask the right questions to the right people. And, you know, for anyone that, that complains, I always look. I always look at a comment when I do look at the comments, and I think, I wonder if, if they're going to be smart and include a solution. Yeah. And I, I've even heard some of the smart, some of the racers that raise hell that have been doing this for a long time. And it's like, you know, I, I like to hear the question presented to them about how they can fix it that's what i want to hear and i don't want to hear no stroker motor and no you know different agenda to sell parts not that one not that not that fix that's not the best might be a good fix for whoever said that but um i i just i think it's interesting i think the schedule coming out is going to be a good thing and to find out what races we may be going back to yeah. and some of the changes and you know again while topeka goes away i think the door swings open for uh, a much better um, you know, opportunity for the sport and for the racers. Agree, man. It's going to be a great weekend. I look forward to seeing you when we get out there to Kansas. Uh, travel safely. You driving or flying? You driving or flying? Is this a drivable? I drove the last two years, and after the flat that sidelined me for four hours <laughs> and going over one of those bridges, 
on three tires. Uh, I'm flying Delta. So. Sounds, sounds good, man. I will see you in Topeka, Kansas. Thanks, Tony. See you out there. Thanks. Bye. We'll be right back with Jim Epler right after this. And we're back here in the NHRA Insider Podcast. I have my second guest this week. He is known as Mr. 300, and we are celebrating a 30-year anniversary upon our return to Topeka, Kansas this weekend. Of course, I'm talking about Jim Epler. How are you doing, Jim? I'm doing great. Appreciate it. This is uh, this is going to be one of those great weekends, Jim, where you know the the accomplishment of breaking the 300 mile an hour barrier uh, at Topeka 1993 is something that uh, you've you've kind of had with you your whole life, and now you get to come 30 years later and, and pop back in the gates again. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's been been 30 years. Yeah, um, I was out of it out of sport for about 20 of those years, but uh, <laughs> just doesn't seem like it's crazy, but. You know, it's exciting to see where the technology has gone. And uh, when we went 300, and you look at those cars and you know, how little downforce there was. And, you know, just getting them to run on all eight, you know, was, was really what we're all trying to accomplish. But um, now, you know, with the technology, you know, trying to go 300 miles an hour and half the distance, you know, that, that's that's the really going to be impressive yeah that's the incredible thing and and jim's of course talking about the phillips connect thirty thousand dollar eighth mile 300 mile an hour challenge which uh we've had a little flirtation with but the conditions this year haven't necessarily lined up to see it yet who's to say when we get to our fall kind of later season races that some of these teams may get after it but jim one of the things i wanted to ask you about in that kind of 1993 time frame is you know i was a kid then following the sport at home through national dragster watching the shows and it, it there was this sense that it was obviously going to happen and it was almost inevitable, but there was so much electricity around who was going to do it first. It must have been even 10 times that to be one of the guys actually trying to do it, let alone a kid watching at home. Well, believe it or not, back then, uh, the 300 in a funny car wasn't hardly talked about. It was all about being the first in the fours. And, uh, and that was what all the hype was with Edgels and Force and, and then that, uh, the, uh, I think 295 was the, the fastest funny car around at the time, and, and 300, you know, there's still 300 club for top fuel, so it wasn't even um, <laughs> something that was really talked about yeah. for a funny car, right? So five miles an hour is a, is a huge jump, you know? So when we went 299.90 in, in qualifying, you know, that was just huge, you know? But Mike Clover, you know, he, he deserves credit. Yeah, he, he, he just went all outside the box. We had a lot of trouble trying to smoke smoking tires early, and, and he was trying to make the car run on the back half and run it on all eight and put put more fuel pump on it. And you now he's certainly onto something, you know. And it wasn't really trying to run 300, but in the conditions, just like it was to run the four second run, were optimum. You know, it was it was fall in Topeka, 70 degrees, headwind. You know, the conditions are perfect. You know, it's just one of those magical times, you know, that, that uh, everything aligned. And it's really unfortunate because we burned up that body. I was, was going to say, round. I was going to say the, the storybook <laughs> ending of the weekend wasn't necessarily the storybook ending of the weekend. I think a lot of people forget that you had that just absolutely hellacious fire, what, the day yeah. after, right? Yeah, no, we, we won the second round. And could, we couldn't come back. You know, it was put a, put a damp on things, but. You know, it's just one of those things. If you had it to do over again, you probably wouldn't change too much. You know? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Just says, I'd, I'd like to keep that car around. But what happened was I, I, I couldn't get another Oldsmobile body like that, so I, I, I could never run 300 again the rest of the year, even though we ran top speed to a lot of, lot of races. But uh, that was a, 
it's a good setup, Mike Ed. You know, for trying to run big speed. And I was going to ask you about the bodies because obviously, you know, we always talk about the the Batmobile Buick of the '80s and that type of thing. But from what I just think I heard you say is that the Oldsmobile body was kind of the hot ticket at that point as far as speed, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. And so Oldsmobile just just picked us up, and uh, so it was really good timing. I bought one of the first ones from little Scott Coletta car, and, and then got a Murph McKinney chassis, and then we got that new body and. Man, they just immediately came around and, and started running better. So I wish we could have finished the year with with that style of body. We ended up, you know, mounting our own body in '94 in and, and running it. But uh, the bodies nowadays, I mean, just look at the aerodynamic changes. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, it's just uh, crazy. It, it is. It is incredible. Horsepower. No, it is. It's yeah. and. You know, for you, obviously, the immediate aftermath of this thing was was the fire and having to get yourself and your team kind of put back together after that. But in terms of the immediate aftermath regarding the media or attention that the 300-mile-an-hour run garnered that weekend, were you surprised by it? Did you expect more? Did you get did you get what you wanted out of it in terms of uh, some publicity? And because of the fact that it happened on the same weekend as the four-second run, which one of those kind of led the headlines, four seconds or 300? Well, it, you know, we're all drag racers, right? So yes. I, I wanted to run four seconds. So <laughs> right. That's what it was all about. However, you know, as, the, as time goes on, you know, the, the 300 was a much bigger deal to the to the masses, right? Yeah. They can relate to speed, with, you know, as opposed to DT. So I'm, I feel very fortunate because it really has helped me my entire career, even out of the sport, you know, it, it's helped because people still recognize that. And I always tell people, I... I enjoyed my my win at Indy more than I did did that run, you know. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I, like I said, I wouldn't change anything. Um, but as a drag racer, first to the fours was was really the big one that everybody was trying for. It was a great crop of funny car racers in that particular era. We know we look at Chuck Etchells, and, and obviously John was kind of in his in his swaggering prime at that point. You were in there. We go right down the line. I mean, that was a was it a pretty fun group of guys to race with? And and, when, and I mean that oh. maybe away from the racetrack because when you're at the racetrack, it's all about getting the job done. But away from the racetrack, that seems like it was a pretty fun group. Well, it was everybody. Al Hoffman, you know, he he played a, he played a great bad guy. He was really. A, <laughs> Really great guy, you know, and Cusa, uh, you know, all the guys that I raced with. And then we went match raced a lot too, you know, which is a little different than, sure. than now. So, you know, we're just, just, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was, you know, I look at, you know, coming back into the sport and, and our team, you know, how, how amazingly smooth and everything runs. I had no idea it could be done that way. <laughs> I mean, I am in, in awe of, of how well. Uh, Mike Green runs, runs the team. And I had a top field team for a while, and it was just chaos and ruining everything. <laughs> you so. know, and, and that's and you you kind of bring me into a great point. And you know, you have unique perspective. When we look at Justin Ashley, you you have unique perspective. You've won a dozen national events, won the U.S. Nationals. Of course, we're talking about the three hundred mile an hour run. You know, as a guy that my job is to watch people and and watch what they do and comment on what they do. And I'm almost running out of superlatives for Justin, and these are superlatives that he's earned. I mean, when you sit there and look at him as a guy who did this professionally, what do you think about his performance in the top fuel car? Uh, it's it's amazing. I mean, he, he just he's a they call you know I, I know Tony uses the, the phrase a machine, but he's just unfazed by by everything. You 
and I, I admire so much, you know, his driving, you know, ability and how he could tune everything out and not let anybody mess with him, you know, and that's going to win you know, a lot of championships. He's, you know, he really analyzes everyone. Mike Green, Tommy Gallardo, great teachers. Mike Ashley is probably the, the best teacher he could have, you know, and, and I mean, it's, I don't know. Like you said, he's he's just he's got everything. You know, he can also speak very well. He's for for me as you know the executive at Phillips Connect. I couldn't ask for a better spokesperson. Um, but you know, it's just it's a new modern age. You know, true race car driver is what I consider justin yeah that's a great it's a great way to put it and you know the second half of that which you kind of alluded to i was going to ask about the you know the demands that are on the drivers now away from the away from the seat of the car i mean obviously back in the day you had autographs to sign at the rope and you had things to do to represent your sponsors but have those things evolved as well like we talk about how the race cars have evolved but has the driver's role working with the sponsor also evolved well, it depends on the driver, of course. Sure, you know, and, sure. And uh, <clears throat> we use Justin, you know, a lot, you know, off, you know, between races, and you know, and use his celebrity status, and, and he does a lot of visits, you know, to uh, to the Phelps um, uh, retailers, and and uh, and he he has no issue with doing any of that. Interestingly, the one thing I, I did notice that's different <clears throat> is the autograph lines. You know, and it, it, they're not near as 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 long as they used to be when, when we were racing. I don't know if it's, you know, the diecast era isn't, isn't here anymore. Okay. You know, and uh, it was because, you know, somebody as popular as Justin or even I look at a lot of the teams, you know, they don't have really long lines, you know, they just never end. You know, it, just, it wasn't that way when, when I was racing. So I, I was, was curious to ask, you know, why that might be now. Yeah, that's interesting. social media? You know, I, I don't know. Yeah, like you said, I mean, in the, the diecast era that you mentioned, I mean, that was insane. I mean, uh, when you know the action collectible stuff hit the market, those those things were yeah, yeah. those things went berserk. I mean, and, and the amount of people that really went headfirst into collecting all that stuff. I mean, there there are people that have significant, and they were great, and they were great diecast collectibles. But my God, that those things were like gold back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you know, my my two thousand one, my last year, we did twelve different cars, I think. From- Toys R Us to Motley Crue, and uh, people are still bringing those to me. The sign, but it's kind of interesting how things go through you know, different stages. But uh, social media, oh, you know, yeah. In, in fairness, it's just been an amazing tool to get information out to the masses. Where you know we just didn't have that, so I suspect that has a lot to do with uh, you know what's going on with with a lot of. You know, a lot of these guys are really getting a lot of information on social media. So when you look at the team, uh, which you are uh, not only vice president at Phillips Connect, also a principal as part of the uh, Maxed Out Motorsports group, um, when you look at the team and when we look at what's coming up, we have this kind of short run to Indy, right? We're going to Topeka, Brainerd, back-to-back, week off, then the U.S. Nationals, and then into the countdown. Do you see a team that is built for – these next very critical basically nine races this is this is where the rubber meets the road so do you think the team that you have that you're looking at right now is peaking at the right time and are they built to carry this thing through the countdown well i think so i think they've learned a lot from from last year you know you can yeah. use a lot of excuses but and mike green tom Adore have, have won championships yes. you know so and justin's getting to be a better driver 
So, I, yeah, I, I don't think we'll have the same problem we had, but the competition is just incredibly tough, you know, and everybody knows, you know, Grubnick may be in test mode now, but, you know, he's, he's going to be tough. I mean, they, they just, Steve Torrance, you know, he's he's definitely on mission this year. So, whoever wins, it's going to be well-earned, you know, winning five races up to this point, and, and hopefully we can poise ourselves well starting the countdown is... is it's amazing. That's how you finish. You know, yeah. everybody remembers, you know, how you finish. And uh, so we're hyper-focused on that right now. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the things that we have to look at with, with what Justin and the team has done this year is to really – take full advantage of the mission too fast too tasty challenges we've had you know it's like this is the first time we've had this program and and it's the first time we're gonna see once we close up sunday or monday afternoon at indy and we start to see what those bonus points are worth you know there is a real possibility that the the work that that your team has done on saturdays over the course of the season can win them a championship even if it buys you half a round to start that could be the half around that saves your bacon at the end of the countdown yeah yeah, if you, you look at the history, that's exactly right. So, you know, we're, we're, we're banking on that. We've got another couple of opportunities to add some more points, and, you know, we'll do our best just like everybody else. But but those are valuable. We've got, uh, um, how many, shoot, I don't even remember how many we have. I think you're up to f- either 15 or 18 at this point. you you got a pile of them, an absolute pile yeah, of them. So, yeah, almost around then, exactly. Yeah, so that's that's going to be fantastic. So I guess if I can if I can hit you with one kind of one last question, Jim, it would be, you know, the overriding thing you look back on thirty years removed from this situation. Is it something that kind of astonishes you a little bit still? Is it something that is just one of those just kind of brief moments in time? Because you know, somewhere in that in that guy that ran three hundred in nineteen ninety three was a kid who fell in love with drag racing, who never thought probably any of that would have been possible. So when you look at it from the other end now, looking back those 30 years, what is the overriding emotion for you? Well, it's life-changing for me. I mean, it really was life-changing, and I didn't know it at the time either, and it took many years to, to know it. And, you know, if I never get to drive again, you know, I've, I've made a great memory, you know, and, and legacy on, on a sport that I, I do love it. And to bring, you know, that even as a, you know, part car owner, you yep. know, that that's even better. But I uh, I had no idea, you know, how big a deal that was at the time. And, you know, there's just not going to be a first to 400. And, you know, there's some other barriers that, that were broken, but um, I will cherish this one forever. And, and I hate to see uh, Topeka, you know, go away. You know, a lot of, a lot of great memories there. But uh, this is the last one, so... I yeah, we'll, we'll enjoy it. You and me both. It's uh, it's a massive place. It's an interesting place, and you know the story that's kind of floating around now is that it may actually be open next year. Obviously, we've committed to going to the new Flying H track, but if it does stay open, who's to say we don't uh, we don't pop our heads in there? Uh, every now and again in the future. So, uh, Jim Epler yeah. of Phillips Connect, and of course of the Justin Ashley Phillips Connect Top Fuel team, one of the car one of the partners on the ownership side of that car as well. I thank you very much for taking the time, Jim. I relish the opportunity to hang out this weekend and uh, enjoy every second. All right. Appreciate having me on. And I will see you shortly. He's Jim Epler. He will be in Topeka this weekend, and I'll be right back with some closing thoughts here in the NHRA Insider Podcast. Welcome back to the NHRA Insider Podcast. That's going to bring us to the end of this week's show. We have, of course, the Menards 
NHRA Nationals presented by Pet Armor this weekend at Heartland Motorsports Park, which is purported to be the last time we will be going there for a national event. There is some uncertainty as to the future of the facility, and we hope all of that gets worked out. But in the meantime, we're going to go and we're going to have one heck of a drag race. Bump spots in all three categories. We're running professionally. Of course, Pro Stock, Top Fuel, and Nitro Funny Car. Tony and I kind of got you up to speed as to what we know and what we've heard and what we think coming out of the countdown or rather coming out of the Western Swing as we inch our way toward the countdown with a couple of races before the U.S. Nationals. Topeka first and then Brainerd the week following. It is going to be a good back-to-back stretch, a stretch where teams can either get healthy or fall further down the points ladder, putting themselves in perhaps grave danger when we get to the U.S. Nationals when it is literally do-or-die time regarding the end of the season performance. Thank you for listening as always. Thank you for watching. If you're taking this in via video, we will be at Topeka. And what's going to be cool is at Brainerd, we're going to do a live NHRA Insider from the pits. You'll be able to actually flip on your TV set at home and watch this baby live. I think we're going to stream it on the internet as well. But uh, something we're kind of building on. This will be a test drive show. We're going to do a larger version of it at the U.S. Nationals. But the Insider is going live in Brainerd, of all places, home of the zoo. We'll see what else it's home of when we get up there. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a fan of NHRA Drag Racing. And get to Topeka this weekend. If you've never been there, you got to see this place at least once. It is humongous. It is almost beyond description how big this place is. you got to see it once. It's going to be a fast weekend on Friday night. It's going to be a tricky tuning weekend that some teams will certainly succeed in and others will falter. You can watch us on FS1 all weekend long, qualifying Friday, Saturday, and Sunday coverage of the race on Sunday afternoon. I'm Brian Loans. Thanks again for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a Topeka recap, but a look forward to Brainerd on the NHRA Insider.